Chapter 26 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins In the Dungeon So it was Tell Me, the dog, who had lured Link Lambert away, and the note that the big dog had brought to us from Link told us that the skinny guy believed the dog would take us over the same route. We were not long in getting ready. When we hurried out to Will Standish's green motorboat that lay tied to our big boat, the dog ran ahead of us and barked as though he understood what was expected of him. And as we leaped into the motorboat, the dog jumped into the water and started swimming for the other shore. No one said a word, but every eye was turned upon Tell Me. Will Standish started the motor and we sped across the bay in the trail of waves made by the swimming dog. He reached the shore ahead of us, leaped out and shook himself, and then turned to watch our approach. The rocks on this side of the bay do not extend far inward, but they rise to a high that forms a wall and shuts out the view. We had to go through a narrow pass that twisted this way and that around the rocks, and when we had passed through, we saw that the country on this side had plenty of coarse grass and found palms growing, with here and there a palm tree holding its head above the other plants. I wondered, then, as we tried to keep up the running dog, why we had not explored this side of the bay before. Only one of us had done so, and that was Link's father when he had found the lady's slipper with a diamond in the buckle. But Will Standish seemed to know the place well. Lucia was talking to him as we walked, and Will pointed to a heap of crumbling stones that lay in a circle about a half mile away, and said, That is the old Spanish watchtower. Lucio expected the big dog to take us to these ruins, but he was mistaken. As soon as we had stepped out of our boat, Tell Me dashed off in the direction of the grassy ground that led inward. He stepped to look back at us once or twice, and seeing us following, he continued on his way. He was taking us farther away from the tower ruins, but we could still see the crumbling hip when Tommy stepped and we came up with him. Then he turned to the left and took a path which had been hidden by a wild growth like cactus. It was only two minutes' walk to a huddle of rocks about a half mile from the shore. Tommy stepped again. Well, said Lucio, is this as far as we go, Tommy? The dog barked and fell upon his stomach. His nose sniffed the pile of rocks. 
On the other side, Uncle Lucio, I whispered, and I jumped over the stones, and there it was, a hole in the ground, etched with mortar that still held a few blocks of stone in place. The wild, coarse grass grew high about it, and prickly cactus cocked my shins as I walked. Lucia was over the racks right after me, and together we stared down into this odd place. Crumbling steps were visible through the tangle of grasses. Chalmy came leaping over the racks behind Lucio, and dashed through the tangle and disappeared down the old steps. Well, said Lucio, might as well follow him. That's what Link's note said. Lead the way, said Dr. Waters. We will be right behind you. Lucio led the way, and we followed in single file. There were just eleven steps. I counted them as I went down, and then we reached a tunnel that seemed to be cut out of the solid rack. It was lighted on the right by little holes cut through, and I pulled myself up and peeped out and saw that these uneven windows looked out upon the sea. We walked along in silence, only our footfalls bringing echoes in that underground place. As I walked, I recalled again that other underground place in which we had become lost, and I said a prayer to my favorite saint that I might not have to pass through such a frightful experience again. Listen. It was my own voice that spoke, but it didn't sound the same. Something had come to me suddenly. We had all heard it before. It was a sound that I had heard before, the sound of a beautiful voice singing, and it sounded far, far away. The sound was too faint to make out the words of the song, but it was the same melody that had come to us that dark night on our first visit to Casanova's doom. Well, said Duck, that sounds encouraging. Seems like we have company down here somewhere. Hush, whispered Lucio, that voice. He said no more, but in the dim light from the zigzag window, I could see upon his face a strange look that I could not understand. The singing died away. We continued our walk. Tell me was no longer with us. He had gone far ahead of us, and the darkness further on had swallowed him up. Evidently, he knew the place well and was on his way to Link, knowing that he had brought us here and that his duty was finished. Presently, we heard voices. The sound came to us very clearly, and we tiptoed so that we would not be heard. I could smell the smoke of a wick burning in an oil lamp. Let me lead the way, Uncle Lucio, I whispered and scampered ahead of him. Softly, I tiptoed down the passage, which was now beginning to slope sharply. And before long, 
I stepped and held my arms out wide, so that the others would step too, for we were standing in a sort of gallery that sloped in a winding way down into a big hollow chamber in which several men were sitting and talking. I know how surprised the other must have been when they first laid eyes on the scene spread out below us. There was a swimming brass lamp hanging from three chains fastened into an iron ring in the dome of the cavern, and its wild flaming wick threw off a smoke that was enough to choke a person. Around the sides of the big room were benches upon which men were sleeping, wrapped in thin blankets, and at certain places along the wall there were places hollowed out in which there were men sleeping upon the floor. Beneath the swinging lamp was a rough table at which sat three men. At first, our eyes were not good enough in that dim light to recognize these three, but gradually I traced the futures of the big fat man who sat in the middle, and I knew I was looking upon Rafael Peralta, and when I recognized the other two, my heart leaped. They were Gabriel Hausman and Montilla, the Cuban lawyer. Lucio and Dak were whispering excitedly to each other, while Will Standish stood in the shadows against the rear wall, so as not to be seen. I was about to tell Lucio that we had better go at once, when suddenly, in the chamber below us, a heavy oak door that I had not noticed until it moved swung open, and two rough-looking Cubans came into the chamber, holding my arm to prisoners. I held my hand to my mouth to prevent the cry of surprise that I was about to utter when I saw them, they were Elam, the lame man, and his old sea captain. Well, said Raphael, when the prisoners had been brought before his table. What is the answer, Elam? The greenish face of the little lame man scowled upon the big face of Uncle Raphael. I gave you my answer before you threw me and my mate into the dirty dungeon. He snarled. You ain't a man, Peralta. You made me a lame man, as I am, when you played ghost and scared me, so you could steal my diamond. And after, I give you half. Now you've got me. I was unlucky to get cocked down here, and I guess... I was born to it. We sailed over here in the Jonah, so we ain't got no kick coming. But you've got me, and I know when I'm bit. The dark face of Uncle Raphael wrinkled in a sarcastic smile. Thanks, Elam, he said. It's nice of you to look at it that way. Then the wrinkles and smile disappeared, and Raphael's voice thundered. 
Unless you do, as I say, you shall never leave that dungeon, never see daylight any more. You will die there, and die shortly, too. Elam's arm went up as though he would strike across the table, but he held it half-raised, and the sound of those jangling chains reminded me suddenly of the rattle of chains that we had heard once. You coward! he yelled at Raphael, then seeing that it was useless. I'm done, he said. You've got me, Peralta. It'll be a hard shipping like that, but I'm done. I ain't a man that's likely to do anything for a man such as you be. Listen to me now, and don't ask me no more. The man in the boat across the bay will get you, Peralta. I get a feeling like I know they will. And I want them too, see? That's why I didn't trap them aboard my Jonah and take them out and sink the old bark like you wanted me to. Of course, you said you would give us a motor boat to get away in before the ship went under. But I ain't never relied on anything you said since you played ghost of me. So I says again, no, I won't do it for such as you, Peralta. Peralta studied the greenish face of the lame man for a silent minute. Listen, he said, if I show you the treasure that I just have found, and promise you that you may help yourself before you leave. Will you promise to get rid of my stepbrother and those people from America? Elam laughed aloud. You ain't found no treasure, Peralta, he said, and you can fool an old sailor like Elam a second time. No, sir, you fooled me into believing a ghost once. But you can't fool me now. Raphael shouted, and several of the men who lay asleep around about the room leaped up and listened to an order given in Spanish, after which they disappeared into a dark opening and came back carrying a load wrapped up in a blanket, which they put upon the table. Raphael stood up and threw back the corners of the blanket. I stared in surprise at the heap of sparkling gems that lay there, reflecting in many colors the dim rays of light that fell upon them from the swinging lamp. The lame man started forward, and his eyes were wide and wild. By Jonah, he exclaimed. And then, as if he was unable to say anything else, he repeated, By Jonah! Raphael smiled. You see, he said, I was not lying, Elam. Here is the treasure. But Elam turned away. Come on, he said, take me back to the dungeon. Then Raphael Peralta grew angry, and when he was angry, he certainly was a man to be feared. Very well, he shouted. Take him back, and don't give him or 
his old Captain Jonah any more food till I order it. It had seemed to me that during the time the men were bringing out the blanket with the treasure in it, Uncle Raphael, while he waited, glanced up at us out of the corner of his eye, and now, as we watched Elam and his old companion being led back through the heavy oak door, I happened that he turned his gaze for one short minute full upon the place where we stood. But when I saw him gather up the blanket full of treasure, and with Montilla and Gabriel on either side, walk out of the chamber through the dark opening in which the treasure had been kept, I felt that I must have only imagined it. As soon as they were gone, the other men hurried about the chamber, folded their blankets upon their benches, pushed their chairs up to the table, and left, going through the same dark opening. The last man living jumped upon the table and blew out the smoking lamp. A few minutes after the sound of the last man's footsteps had died away, Duck Waters whispered, Well, of all the strange sights I ever saw, that was the strangest. Who would have thought that Montilla would turn out to be? That's as far I can remember what Duck said, because just at that instant there came a loud yell behind us. In fact, right upon us, not one yell, but a dozen, and I caught a glimpse of this man we just had seen leave the chamber below, springing upon Baldes and Link's father. Dak and Lucio turned to go to their aid, but they were five to one. I saw how useless it would be for me to do a thing, and when I saw Dak go down under a blow from a club held in the hand of a big Spanish ruffian, and Lucio struggling between four of them, I yelled to Will Stanish, and we both went flying down the sloping passage, knowing not where it would take us. How I ran! It is a wonder that I did not smash into a wall in the darkness when I reached that part of the cave where no more windows looked out upon the sea. I don't remember what I was thinking about as I ran, except that I wanted to run and run and run. I never was so frightened in my life. I heard Will Standish puttering behind me for a while, but when I had to slow up because my breath was coming hard and fast, and I felt I would drop if I ran faster there was no sound of will behind me. I leaned up against the wall and breathed hard. It was pitch dark. I could not think. My head was going around and around. Suddenly, fright took hold of me again. I thought of poor old Elam lying in a dark dungeon. I imagined that Raphael would catch me too and put me into a dungeon the same as he had done the lame man. I began to shake. 
Then I heard a soft shuffling sound, and the next instant something pushed against me, and I screamed. My scream was followed by a loud bark. Hooray! It was tell me. Tell me! Tell me! It was somebody else calling. Somebody else had heard Telmi's bark too, and was calling for him. I recognized that voice, the skinny guy. Link! I yelled at the tap of my voice. Link! Where are you? End of chapter 26